0: Hey there, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast series I'm working on. It's Radiohead Adjacent. It's called Bjork Unraveled, and I wanted to share this episode in the Fake Plastic podcast feed because one of the songs I'm analyzing is Tom York's duet with Bjork. It's called I've Seen It All. My goal for this show is to be accessible to anyone, so you don't have to be a Bjork fan to enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening to Fake Plastic Podcast and I hope you like Bjork Unravelled as well. You're listening to Bjork Unravelled, a series that demystifies Bjork's music one piece at a time. I'm your host, Savannah Wright. Bjork has a superpower that the best musicians do. She can create a character to tell a compelling musical story. David Bowie did it with Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, and The Thin White Duke. Prince did it with Camille. And Nicki Minaj has too many characters to count. Bjork's character is Isabel. She's a fiercely independent heroine who leaves the forest to enter the city. Her adventures are told in three songs, Human Behavior, Isabel, and Bachelorette. Isabel's story was Björk's foray into alter egos, but she'd go on to perfect that storytelling in the album she released after Homogenic, the soundtrack for a film called Dancer in the Dark. This was Björk's big-screen debut. She played the lead character, Selma, and she actually won Best Actress at the Cannes Festival for her performance. It was a huge honor. But Björk cared more about getting recognized for her work on the soundtrack. One of the songs was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song, so she performed it at the 2001 Academy Awards, where, yes, she wore her iconic swan dress. Um,
1: ladies and gentlemen, the phenomenal Bjork.
2: I've seen
0: she titled the soundtrack selma songs in honor of the character she brought to life she said i see the album not as the soundtrack to the film but rather as the realization of selma's dream i want this record to be my gift to selma
1: it's sort of the whole thing is for the love of selma you know and which of course is um, you know funny because she doesn't exist but but uh but that, that's kind of why, and that's even why I finally an, I accepted the role that Lars kept offering me, was maybe, I mean, I'm a very stubborn person. I would have said no for another 10 years, easy, you know, but I kind of fell in love with her, I guess, a little bit and felt she needed defending, you know.
0: The songs aren't just fun, musical roms, although two of them definitely are, but they serve as windows into Selma's inner thoughts and dreams. Examining how these songs bring Selma to life demonstrates Björk's brilliance as a storyteller. It's something that I think any film score fan, or even country fan, can appreciate. So in this episode, we're going to explore the rich interior world of Selma songs. To understand this record we first need to know a little more about Dancer in the Dark. The film follows Selma, a Czech woman who immigrated to the States to find her American dream. She works in an industrial factory by day and stars in community theater at night. She's obsessed with musicals and wishes her life would become one. So the songs Bjork wrote for the movie play during the musical numbers in Selma's daydreams. Now, despite that cheerful premise, this is not a happy movie. It's heartbreaking because Selma suffers from a disease that slowly deteriorates her vision. Her son, Jean, has the same condition, and she has to save every last dime to afford the operation that can save his vision. Now, as I said, each of the songs in the film accompanies a daydream of Selma's. Because Selma is losing her vision, her other senses are heightening to compensate, her hearing in particular. These musical numbers often begin with Selma noticing a repetitive noise that then forms the beat of the song. I want to talk about each of these songs in context because I feel like it'll help you appreciate how they both develop Selma and drive the story forward. Fair warning, there are spoilers ahead. I mean, the movie is 20 years old, but if you don't want to know anything, maybe pause this episode and watch Dancer in the Dark first. Okay, let's start with the first musical number in the movie, Svalda. This song introduces Selma's tendency to fantasize her life as a musical. In this scene, Selma is working at her job in the factory, and to distract herself from the tedium, she focuses on the whirs and bangs of the machines. To Selma, even the awful din of a factory can be music. York shows Selma's perspective in the music by turning the mechanical sounds into the beat of a big band number. magical clattering, anything is music. Sound familiar? That's because this song became fodder for an SNL joke in 2002, when Winona Ryder impersonated Bjork on Celebrity Jeopardy.
2: Bjork, this is the only thing that becomes toast. Everything is music. When I go home, I throw knickers into the oven and it's music. Crash! Boom! Chig-a-cha!
0: <laughs> sure. This idea fits neatly into the Bjork stereotype as a whimsical otherworldly fairy. And it is funny the first time you hear it. But Bjork said that this musical philosophy was a conscious decision.
1: Since I, I was a child I, I wanted to do a musical that was not like the Hollywood ones, where the magic sort of didn't you know, if you didn't have to be American with a lot of money and look great to have magic. It was something that everybody can do in their own kitchen, you know? And and, and that, you know, if this was a musical like we would stand up and, and, and play the chair and, and, you know, throw that in the ceiling and I would sing and you would sing and And we could only use what we have here. There would not be extra, you know, things.
0: Svalda is a glimpse into Selma's point of view and her fatal flaw. Because, as we'll see later in the film, this romanticizing tendency, while helpful in getting through the mundanity of life, deludes Selma. And that delusion is an important setup for the conflict with her landlord that fuels the rest of the movie. Okay, fast forward a bit. Selma has been gradually losing her vision. As she walks home from a late shift at work, her friend Jeff stops her to ask if she needs a ride. Stubborn Selma refuses and walks into the train tracks to find her way home. Jeff persists, unnerved by her strange behavior. When a train rushes past, nearly hitting Selma, he asks her if she can see. And she deflects by saying, what is there to see? So begins the next track I want to discuss, I've Seen It All.
1: The heart of the whole film was this I've Seen It All, the train song. Um, When uh, I asked Lars, you know, kind of, so where's the love song? (laughs) And he's like, there's no love in this film. And so I ended up sort of i mean for for a woman of that age i mean that must be her first standpoint and the rest sort of falls into place around that mm-hmm. and the fact that she didn't want love she she was she could have had it if she if she wanted but she didn't want it that has to be the, the core of her you know i mean as a as a as a, as a woman
0: As you hear in that clip, the song begins roughly the same way as Svalda does. Selma's imagination turns the mundane sounds of the train tracks into a Hollywood musical number. In the film, this is a duet between Selma and Jeff. But for the soundtrack, Björk wanted to elevate the song with a respected vocalist. So she asked someone she had been wanting to collaborate with for a few years. Tom York. Yes, two of my favorite vocalists of all time on one track. If you don't know already, I did a podcast about Radiohead called Fake Plastic Podcast. So in my mind, this is the best collaboration that ever happened in music history. Anyway, let's examine the lyrics again, because this is where Bjork further develops Selma's character. As we know, Selma is going physically blind, but the lyrics are about a different kind of blindness. Pride.
2: Seen elephants, kings, or Peru. I'm happy to say I have been to do. What about China? Have you seen the great war? All the walls are great if the roof doesn't fall. On the
0: man you Throughout the movie, we see Selma's pride. Prove her undoing. She doesn't ask for people's help and she refuses to admit her own blindness. But in this song, we also feel her pain. Deep down, she knows she's losing her vision and her ability to provide for her son. Yet she pretends that it isn't a problem. When Jeff points it out to her, she acts like she doesn't care, as if to avoid feeling the pain head on. We hear this struggle between clarity and delusion. In the two vocalists in the song. Jeff tries to remind her of all the things she'll miss if she goes blind. But Selma feigns interest. Oh, the
2: marry, oh, honest, really
0: There's a line after this part, where Tom sings... is a kernel of truth to that. I mean, we do romanticize natural wonders like Niagara Falls, when really it's made up of the same components of any waterfall. But what kills me is when he brings up priceless moments that she won't be able to see. tragic irony because of course Selma cares. She cares enough to sacrifice everything to leave her homeland for America in order to get her son the operation that will save his vision. But to admit that she cares is to confront overwhelming irreparable loss. We can feel that loss when she sings the final chorus. On the surface, she's reassuring herself that losing her vision won't matter but the way Björk sings the lines shows that Selma is heartbroken
2: and that is, is, enough, is enough, enough to, to more would be green. I'll I'll see. See.
0: That last line almost has two meanings. There is no more to see because she's refusing to acknowledge what she'll miss. But there's also no more to see because she's already going blind. She couldn't see even if she wanted to. Before I move on to the next song, I want to highlight just how amazing it is that Bier collaborated with Tom York. It was literally years in the making. According to biographer Mark Peitelik. Quote, plans to co-headline a North American tour with Radiohead in 1997 were announced and subsequently jettisoned when it became evident that both artists' elaborate stage requirements made it impossible to orchestrate the transition from one to the other with any degree of effectiveness, Close quote. Such a nice way to put it, Mark. I mean, basically, Bjork and Radiohead are too extra to perform on one stage. They both used sophisticated visual components in their performances, so dismantling one set to reconstruct the other would take too long. Luckily, Bjork persisted and recorded at least one song with York. Here's what she said about working with him. We were always just about to do something together, and we were just waiting for the right situation. I was really excited about this song. I thought that I finally had a song that deserved his voice because he's definitely my favorite male singer in the world. Turns out, the feeling is mutual. Tom York said that Unravel is one of his favorite songs in the world.
2: While you are away My heart comes undone Slowly unravel.
0: Okay, I want to talk about two more songs. The first happens during a pivotal courtroom scene. Selma is facing charges for the conflict with her landlord. It's a grim situation, so to avoid feeling discomfort or fear, she escapes into another fantasy musical number. It's called In the Musicals. As you can hear, it starts with a hip-hop beat made up of the sounds Selma hears in the room, squeaking shoes and pencil taps. For me, the song is almost a reprise of Svalda. Selma is again turning a difficult situation into a musical fantasy. But in this one, she can't hold the fantasy together. Moments of reality break through in the verses, which, as you heard, are fairly dissonant. It's in the chorus when the fantasy is strongest. The strings swell, the harp plays, and Selma sings about life in the musicals. Where all will be made right in the end. I feel like in the musicals shows Selma's limits. She can keep trying to escape conflict through music, but she can't escape its consequences. I hear that in the last line when the strings cut out and she sings When I'd Fall a cappella, as if acknowledging that her fall cannot be musicked away. Which brings us to the end of the movie, when Selma does fall. I don't want to completely spoil the ending if you haven't seen it, so I'll try to stick to the basics. The last musical number isn't like the others. It's Selma singing a cappella, in one final attempt to find solace in music. The lyrics are slightly different in the film version than the one in the soundtrack, but it's called New World. There's a scene earlier in the movie when Selma is talking to her landlord, and she mentions her love of musicals. She says she loves every minute, except the last number, because that means the show is over. So she leaves the theater in the second to last song. That way, the musical can go on forever. In the film version, she sings a line about how this isn't the last song, even though we as an audience know that it is. It's one of those moments of tragic irony that can bring you to tears.
2: This isn't the last song, there's no violin. The choir is so quiet and no one takes a spin.
1: This is
2: the next to last song.
0: The soundtrack version captures that hope that Selma maintains throughout the film. Sure, at times that hope is basically delusion and can be damaging. But how else could she have survived as a struggling immigrant who's losing her vision? The fantasy helped her endure. That message is conveyed most clearly through the instruments in this song. The horns are majestic, providing a fitting end to a musical but they also carry an undercurrent of sadness. Let's listen to the very beginning of the song when they appear.
2: Train whistle, sweet curry side.
0: The horns feel melancholy, as if they're acknowledging the reality of her situation. But as the song continues, and Selma's fantasy gains strength, the horns gain a greater majesty as well. It's like they're saying Selma's body may be broken, but her spirit isn't. Her hope is resilient. What's also interesting about the instrumentation here is the interplay of the beat and the strings. We know by now that arranging beats and strings is Björk's specialty. Here, the beat propels the song forward, giving a sense of anticipation, a new beginning, To compare, let's listen to the opening overture, which doesn't have the beat. And then here's the version with the beat in New World. the overture feels brooding whereas new world feels anticipatory exciting there's that sense of something beginning juxtaposed with the sense of finality from the strings a beginning and an ending just like selma's situation in the final scene of the movie Think about your favorite song. Don't worry, it doesn't have to be a Björk song. Just think about it for a minute. Do the lyrics tell a story? It could be as superficial as going to the club or partying with your friends. But still, it's a story. It transports you to another place, like a forest in Iceland, or another time when the forest spreads its roots into the city. In Selma songs, Björk tells Selma's story in multiple layers, through the instrumentation, the lyrics, and her vocal performance. When you listen with that angle in mind, you can really lose yourself in its beauty. That escape feels critical to survive, to keep going in spite of it all. So listen closely. Find a thread, follow it, and listen again. You never know where it might take you. The Anything is Music concept we heard in Selma Songs became the foundation for Björk's next album, Vespertine. On that record, Björk made experimental beats using everyday sounds, like shuffling cards and crunching snow. In the next episode, we'll discover how Vespertine's tapestry of beats unleashed Björk's creativity as a producer. You've been listening to Björk Unraveled, a series that demystifies Björk's music one piece at a time. Björk Unraveled is produced independently by me, Savannah Wright. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend and submit a review on whatever podcast app you're using. And share your thoughts with me on Facebook and Instagram at Björk Unraveled. You'll find a new episode in your feeds every other Thursday.